Welcome. Welcome to Park Church. It's a little uh, cold and rainy, and it feels earlier than it's supposed to feel, right? <laughs> what is with the farmers? Daylight savings? I don't know. Wish we could do away with that. Um, write your congressman. Um, anyway, welcome to Park Church. We're glad that you're here. Um, we're in this series right now. It's called Love Where You Live, and we are uh, over the halfway mark in this series. We only actually have two weeks left. Um, if you're new, if you're visiting with us, what we've been doing really all winter is talking about the mission that God has given us. We've been talking about what God wants for us, um, what God wants from us, wants, what God wants to do in us and through us and because of us. Um, the way we've sort of summed it up is by saying, and this is an oversimplification, but it's true, um, God wants us to bring him to people and people to him. People to God and God to people. That's what he wants. And so we've talked about the different ways we could do that, the different ways we can understand that, and how we could start to um, try to apply that in the real world. A few weeks ago, we talked about the need to invite people, just to invite, invite, invite. Not just to, like, church on Sunday mornings, um, although that's super important, but just invite them into your life to experience a little bit of God through you, to invite them into the life of the church, like the um, movie night that happened Last night, for instance, the egg hunt, Easter's coming up. These are good opportunities to invite people. You can invite people to serve with you next Saturday if you want. Um, there are just multiple opportunities. And for those of you who have been inviting, and we've seen more of that since like, we talked about it a few weeks ago, I, I want to say thank you, and I want to encourage you to continue to invite people. Um, because what we believe is that in the local church, in the local body of Jesus followers, this is where people are going to come to know Jesus and come to um, want to follow him more and differently and come to hear what he's calling us to and what his word has to say. Um, this is where people are going to kind of find support, right? And so keep inviting people. We're thankful that you are. Please keep doing that. This morning, um, I want to open with a rhetorical, a kind of rhetorical question that I didn't make up. Uh, it was first asked by a man named Peter, a little less than 2,000 years ago. Um, Peter, St. Peter, he was the one who kind of led the Jesus followers, led the Jesus movement after uh, Jesus died and raised from the dead. And he asks this question that I think is a really interesting and a really important question for us to be asking ourselves. And this is the question right here. Who am I to think that I could stand in God's way. Who am I to think I could stand in God's way? I like, I like this question. I find it interesting for at least two reasons. One is, it implies that God is doing something. It implies that God is moving, that God wants to accomplish something, that God has a purpose, that God is active still. It implies that God is on the move, right? The second thing that's interesting about it is it implies that we have the ability to stand in God's way. Or we have the ability to try to stand in God's way. Or at the minimum, we think we can stand in God's way. For those of you here who are not Jesus followers, who don't really have a relationship with God to speak of, this question to you might not make any sense. It might be like, what do you mean, stand in God's way? What, what does that mean? For those of us, though, who have been following Jesus for some time, who do have a relationship with God, I bet if we're able to reflect for a moment, we can look back on our life at moments in our faith and say, yeah, that was a time where I was just standing in God's way. Or that situation, I was, I was just putting up the resistance to God. Or, you know, that problem, that, that thing, that time in my life, that mountain I couldn't get over, 
It's because I was standing, I was standing in God's way. <clears throat> a, few, uh, a few months ago, I had an experience just like this. I was uh, sitting with a friend of mine who's an, who's an older man, and I was, I was talking to him about like what was going on in my life, what was going on with my family, what was going on here at church, what was just, you know, like what was happening. And um, as I tend to do, I went into like problem solving mode. That's kind of like where I live, problem solving mode. I'm, I'm of the mind that um, problems are only so because there is a solution. And if we think hard enough and work hard enough, we can find a solution to any problem. And so I start to paint this picture for this guy of all of the things that like I want to do, I want to see, I want to see done here. And so I start kind of launching into all of the scenarios, right? And it's like, you know, this is the thing that we want to do here. And so if we could do this here and that here, right? And then that will make this happen and this happen and this happen. And then we can get this done here. And for this to happen here, we need this kind of person. So we need these people here to do this, this, and this. And if that happens, I could change that person and they could do this and this can happen and that can happen and that can happen. Um, and I, I'm just going through this. I'm going on and on and on and on. I can see his eyes are kind of glazing over. And after I'm done rambling, right, at him, um, he didn't fall asleep, but after I'm done rambling at him, he kind of just sits back in his chair, and he says to me, so Matt, tell me, remind me, what did you do before you went into ministry? I said, I was an engineer. He said, aha. Uh -huh. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean, aha? Uh -huh? What does that mean? He said, you haven't learned the lesson yet, have you? I said, no, but I think I'm about to. He said, you haven't learned yet. You're not the engineer. You can't engineer every outcome. You can't engineer every system to do what you think it ought to do. I said, I think I'm about to learn that lesson. Um, what he was saying to me was, when you are the engineer, that means that God is not the engineer, right? When you're trying to control every system, right, that means that God is not somehow in control. Um, when you try to do everything, organize everything, design every outcome, figure everything else out, what you're doing is you're leaving no room for God to actually act. And what you're going to do when you do that, he said, is you are going to stand in the way of what God is doing. Because God is going to act whether you're trying to control the weather or not, right? God is going to act anyway. And here's what I want to, um, here's, here's what I want to connect this to with our Love Where You Live series, right? Talking about God's mission. And here it is. And I say this not just because I think this, but because this was what was behind what Peter's question was. Um, God is on the move here. God is active. God is working. What God wants to do with you, with your life, with your faith, um, with your situation, with your relationships, God wants to reach people through you. He wants you to be someone who can bring people to God and God to people. He wants to work in you and through you and around you, uh, before you and after you, because of you, but he doesn't want to work in spite of you, right? I think what we need to learn, what we need to hear sometimes, is we need to learn how to get out of God's way to how to get out of the way of what God is doing so that God can actually do it and we can follow. And that's really what this story uh, that we're going to talk about this morning, the story of Peter, really kind of gets to. Um, 
It comes in the book of Acts. Acts, if you don't know it, is um, A-C-T-S. It's not A-X, as in like the thing you chop with, nor is it the body spray for men. Um, Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. It's what the Apostles did. It's what the earliest Jesus followers did after Jesus uh, died and was, re- and was raised from the dead. It tells the story of the first, of the early Jesus movement, right? Of the beginning of the church. Um, it's a story that actually doesn't start with Peter. It starts with a man named Cornelius. And it's in the 10th chapter of uh, the book of Acts. Um, Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then he kept writing, and it was called the book of Acts. And it's separated in our New Testament, but originally it was probably all just kind of one book together. So Luke tells us a story. It starts with a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman like, officer in the Roman army that was stationed in, in their land, in Jerusalem, Judea, that area. Um, he was stationed at a city called Caesarea, which was right on the coast of the Mediterranean, on the western shore um, of Judea, of like where Israel is today. He's stationed there. He's someone who believes in God. He prays to God, not a Jesus follower, not a Jesus guy. He just has a general sense that God is out there, God is something, he's praying to God. And, and so God hears his prayers. And it's just good to know that we don't have to know everything or have everything right for God to hear us, right? Because he didn't have it right. Anyway, uh, God hears his prayers and God answers him. He gives him a kind of a dream. And he says in the dream to Cornelius, um, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to send some of your best guys a few miles south down the road to a town called Joppa. And you're going to ask, have them find a man named Peter and tell Peter to come to you. Peter's going to talk to you. And so Cornelius gets this, he does it, he sends the guys, um, the guys come, it takes a few hours or a day or whatever, they're approaching the town of Joppa, at the same time, Peter is in Joppa, he's living in a house, he's hanging out, um, we talked about prayer last week, right, Peter wanted to pray, and when Peter prayed, evidently he went on the roof to pray, and so he goes on the roof to pray, I don't pray on my roof, I don't know if any of you do, it, it seems a little dangerous, especially seeing what happens in the story, Peter goes up on the roof, and while he's up there, he becomes so hungry, so hungry, that he falls into something like a trance. And it's super weird, right? But he's so hungry that he falls into a trance. Now, I don't know about you, but I couldn't possibly do anything if I were that hungry, and my prayer life isn't that exciting. It sounds dangerous, too, because if he falls in a trance and then falls off the roof, Peter might be done for. Anyway, um, so he has this, this trance thing, right? And in this trance, God gives Peter a vision. And the vision is super weird, right? It's, it's basically this, like, it's a, it's a vision of this sheet. I don't know if it's a bed sheet. I don't know what kind of sheet it is. The sheet that's being lowered down from heaven to earth by all the four corners and caught up in this sheet um, are all a bunch of animals that good Jewish people like Peter wouldn't have been allowed to eat. So imagine this scene. You are so hungry that you pass out. You're so hungry that you fall into a trance. And the dream that you have is about a bunch of delicious animals that you can't eat, right? It's like a cruel joke. Or it's like when you have to like pee really bad and you have that dream about like waterfalls and stuff, right? Um, so I don't know if that was appropriate. Um, so in this dream, in this trance type thing, God says to him, um, Peter, like, I know you're hungry. Get up and go kill and eat. God, God says, kill and eat. Which, when I was in high school, I first became a Christian, I was friends with a bunch of animal rights activists and, like, vegan types. Like, you know how high school is like that, those people. Um, 
And I used to be able to point to this, and I'd be like, hey, look, God says kill and eat. Um, I'm going to go have that burger after all. Um, so he has this kind of dream, this kind of vision. God says to him, um, go and kill and eat. And look at how Peter responds to God. He says, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. I've never eaten anything. God says, go and do this. Peter says, no way. I've never eaten anything unclean. Um, Peter wants to stand in God's way. It's important to note here that for the Jewish people, um, these food laws, what was clean and what was unclean, besides circumcision and maybe the Sabbath, this was the most important thing for these Jewish people. This was at the center of their faith. This is what marked them off from all the other people, that they didn't eat food that was unclean. They didn't eat stuff like that. So God responds. The voice spoke to him a second time. He said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. What God is saying to Peter here is, I know the law, the old law said you can't eat this, you can't eat that, you can't eat pigs, you can't eat whatever. God is saying that law is done now. It's not unclean. It's not impure anymore. I have made it clean. I have made it pure. You can eat. Don't call anything that I say is impure. Don't call it impure anymore. God gives Peter this vision two more times. So Peter experiences it three times. And if you know anything about Peter, you know that he needs things in threes, right? (laughs) Before Jesus dies, he betrays Jesus three times. After Jesus is raised from the dead, uh, Jesus forgives and recommissions Peter three times. Here again, Peter needs to have this vision three times to get it. And here's the thing, he didn't actually get it yet. He didn't actually know what this vision meant. Luke tells us, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, he's sitting up on the roof, he's wondering what on earth can this vision mean. When he's sitting there wondering, um, he hears a knock on the door, and there are the men from Cornelius outside who are knocking on the door, yelling into the house, we're here looking for Peter, where is this Peter? While Peter was still thinking, Still thinking about the vision. He didn't quite get it yet. He doesn't quite understand what this means. Still thinking the spirit, that's God's spirit, said to him, Simon, which is another name for Peter. uh, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. He says, hey, get up and go downstairs. I know that you're still wondering about what that vision means. I know you're still not clear about it. I know you're not sure yet. I don't want you to stand in the way, though, of what I'm doing here. I want you to follow me. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate. So Peter goes downstairs. He says to the guys, what's going on? What do you want? What do you need? And they say to him, you know, our boss Cornelius said to come get you. We're here to come get you. So they stay overnight. The next morning, Cornelius' guys and Peter and then a bunch of Peter's guys, all of them go up to Caesarea together. They arrive at the city, um, at the town. They arrive at Cornelius' house or whatever. And what Peter finds there is that Cornelius has gathered all of his friends together, all of his family, all of his co-workers, um, a bunch of Roman people. Like They're all gathered in this house um, waiting, waiting for Peter. waiting for Peter. So um, Cornelius, when he first sees Peter, Cornelius falls at his feet. He tries to worship Peter because Cornelius doesn't know yet. Peter says, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm just a guy. Um, They go into the house. 
Peter sees all of these people there. Um, he's, he's, he's just now getting the meaning of this vision. And look at what happens. Peter said to them, he said, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew, like myself, to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Isn't that, isn't that nice of Peter? <laughs> May I ask, why have you sent me? You get what's happening here, right? Um, Peter is finally beginning to wrap his mind around what this vision means and whatnot. Um, he finally gets there and he sees, okay, uh, the animals are not just about unclean things, but it's about unclean people. Now I get it. I can be here. May I ask why you have sent me? And Cornelius is like, I don't know, actually. God just told me to send for you, and here we are. We are waiting for you to speak to us. We're waiting to hear from you. And so Peter begins to speak. He says, I now realize, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts, every, accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I now realize Peter says. Um, unclean, clean, impure, pure, right? Jew, Gentile, I now realize. Something that's important to note here is that this event, this story, happens about 10 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. About 10 years. It took Peter about 10 years to realize this very central thing about our faith that God doesn't show partiality, that God no longer looks at people as Jew and Gentile, right? Or clean and unclean, pure and impure. Um, God no longer looks at people like that. It took him 10 years to get that very central thing, that very central message. For 10 years, Peter, who was the leader of the church, for 10 years, Peter was missing the mark, misunderstanding, getting it wrong. This is kind of an aside, but I find that extremely hopeful for us. When we look back on our faith, how many times have we said, gosh, I got that wrong along the way. I missed the mark along the way. I fundamentally misunderstood something about what God wanted. I misunderstood something about what love looked like. I misunderstood something about what right and wrong was. And God stuck by Peter for 10 years. Because God still had work to do through Peter. Um, just f for those of us who are maybe discouraged about our faith, 10 years and God stuck by. Let that be an encouragement to you. Um, thank God that we have a God who is patient with our ignorance, patient with our disobedience, patient with um, us not getting the point. We'll come back to that in a second. So then Peter, uh, you know, they're there to listen to Peter talk. So Peter then tells the whole story of Jesus. He tells the whole story. And this is, this is kind of what we need to um, know. Peter says to them, You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all, not just the Jews, but of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism uh, that John announced. How, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses uh, and, who, and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one. He is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him so that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's the summary of what we need to know as Jesus followers. Um, and that everyone who believes in him, everyone who receives him, who entrusts themselves into his hands, um, will find forgiveness of sins, will find life in his name. And that's exactly what happened to all of these unclean, impure, um, you know, baby back rib eating uh, Gentiles who would have had no place before God. Luke says, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And listen, the circumcised believers, the Jewish Christians who came with Peter, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had, be, had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The Jewish Christians who came with Peter, they didn't have that vision. They didn't have the benefit of that. This was all kind of new to them. They were astonished. They were shocked that, that, that something like this could happen. Then Peter says, Surely no one, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. No one can stand in the way of what God is doing. Peter had the opportunity to stand in the way. He could have said no to that vision. He could have ignored God. He could have not went downstairs. He could have not went with them. He could have gotten to Caesarea, looked, looked upon the crowd of all of these unbelieving, unclean, impure, Gentile eyes, and said, I'm not speaking to these people. But Peter didn't stand, stand in God's way. So what happens next is that all of, um, so that word of this spreads, spreads around Judea. And look at what Luke tells us in the next chapter. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And, you know, they are like, yes, finally. It's not just us anymore. It's not just us believing this, but God's word has gone out to the Gentiles. His spirit has been poured out beyond the bounds of Judea and Jerusalem. People around the world are going to start hearing about this. God's kingdom is going to spread across the earth. This is going to be amazing and celebration, high fives all around. That's not what happened at all. Here's what happened. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers... And by that, Luke means the Jewish Christians, but he's in Jerusalem, which means he is in the center of the established church, right? This is where the leaders, this is where um, all of the people who ran the church, like, across, like this is where they were all gathered. The circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? You did what? Did I mention this was 10 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus? 10 years. 
It wasn't just Peter who got it wrong for 10 years. It was the entire leadership of the church got it wrong for 10 years. For 10 years, they missed that Jesus' death and resurrection wiped the slate clean, leveled the playing field for every single person. Um, no one had a claim before God any longer because the cross of Jesus has eliminated any claim before God. Everyone stands equal before him. God's grace, Christ's blood, it is shed for everyone equally. It took them 10 years to get that central, central point of faith. For 10 years, the leadership of that church limited what God could be doing, right? Because they didn't understand. They missed the point. They missed the mark, right? Leaders here at Park Church, community group leaders, youth leaders, elders, former elders, staff, right? uh, members in general, we are not perfect either. We can miss the mark. We can um, look back at times on our life together as a church and say, gosh, I wish this thing went differently here. I wish that thing went differently there. I wish this thing in the current went different. And down the road, I think we should go that way when we should go that way. We, we will drift that way rather than straight. It will happen. We will miss the mark because we are not perfect. Because guess what? No church is perfect. I find incredible comfort and hope and encouragement that 10 years later, the church, these people who were eyewitnesses to what Jesus did, to what Jesus said, to what Jesus taught, to what Jesus modeled day after day, reaching out to Jew and Gentile, reaching out to clean and unclean. They missed that for 10 years. And in fact, it wasn't just 10 years, it was more like 20 years. Because 10 years after this story, there's another big church gathering, and they have the same exact argument about um, the same idea, just a different issue. It was about circumcision. 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, they are still getting it wrong. And they had to bring in Peter and Paul and James, the brother of Jesus, had to take a shoe off and slam it on the table and say, enough with this. Jews and Gentiles, same, same footing before God. It took them 20 years, right? I find this incredibly hopeful, incredibly hope-filled. Um, as a church leader, I know that I'm going to mess up along the way. I know things aren't going to go right. Here's why it encourages me. It reminds me that this church is not my church. It reminds me this church isn't our church. This church is God's church. God has founded this church. This mission is not my mission. This mission is not our mission. This mission is God's mission. And God wants to work through us for a greater purpose than just us. And he's going to be faithful to us and faithful through us and faithful in it. I find that incredibly incredibly hopeful, incredibly uh, hope-filled. It's not ours first. It is God's first. So what Peter does after Peter finishes being criticized here, Peter recounts the whole story. He tells it all again about the the sheet and the trance and the the baby back ribs, the whole deal. Um, And how the Holy Spirit came on these uncircumcised, unclean people And then Peter says this. He says, So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning if God gave the unclean, impure, um, outsider Gentiles, if God gave them the Holy Spirit, if God called them to believe, if God gave them the same understanding that we have, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And Isn't that just a great question? 
For those of us here who have the ability to reflect on our faith and on our life, this question is something of a devastating question to actually look back on in our lives. Who might I think I could stand in God's way? For all of us, I hope this is a challenging question. For all of us, I hope that this can become a life-changing question. Because you can think to yourself, how am I standing in God's way? How can I get out of God's way so that I can follow God in God's way? I want to pull out two kind of big meanings from this question, from this idea. Um, one is kind of broad and general, and one is more specific for the series that we're talking about this morning. First, the broad and general point. Like I said before, God is on the move. God is active still. God is doing something. God wants um, you. He wants your life. He wants to take your life and transform it. He wants to transform your heart and your mind. He wants to transform your eyes and your ears and your words. He wants to move in you. He wants to move through you. He wants to move around you, before you, after you, and because of you. And he doesn't want to move in spite of you. He wants to move with you. And I just think we have a tendency to say no to that. We have a tendency to get in God's way fundamentally. Because we want to control things, right? We want to engineer every outcome. The call from this uh, question, from this story, is for us to stop putting up those roadblocks, to stop putting up those barriers, to stop getting in God's way. That's something... I, I have to learn to do. I can't engineer everything. I can't control everything. And by the way, I don't mean here a sort of bumper sticker faith that says like, let go and let God, right? I mean, that's like kind of true, but it's also kind of like a simplification, right? And I don't mean like, you know when people say like, if it's meant to be, like, what does that mean? Everything's meant to be if it happens, right? Like that does, that's meaningless. Um, and I don't mean that you walk into a situation or you experience something hard, throw your hands up and say, oh, I can't do this. God's got this. That's not what I mean. Because God gives us freedom, but God calls us to personal responsibility. What in Scripture is called obedience to what he wants. It's called following Jesus. Here's what getting out of God's way looks like in a general sense, right? God says to you, um, hey, you're forgiven. You know that sin that you did? You're forgiven for it. Because I kind of came myself, and I... I I saw that sin, and I judged it. It was wrong. You shouldn't have done that, and you were wrong for doing that. But I have paid the penalty so that you don't have to pay the penalty. And you're free now from that sin, and you're forgiven. Getting in God's way is saying, yeah, I don't think so. I'm going to pay for that sin. I'm going to carry that guilt. I'm going to own this, because we want to we control even our guilt, right? The point is, God is never going to be able to work through you, to work in you, to work with you if you're standing in the way of God's forgiveness for you. He's never going to be able to transform your heart or your mind in the way that he wants to because we just stand in God's way. That's one way. Another way we can stand in God's way. You know, God says to you, hey, your marriage, it kind of stinks. And it's because of you. You're kind of a jerk husband. You take advantage of your wife. You, you take her for granted. I have a better idea for you. How about this? How about you love her the way that I love her? And I love her the way I love you. And how about this instead? You lay your life down for her and see how that goes. To stand in God's way is to say, no, you know what? I'm going to do it my way instead. I'm, I'm going to resist, God, what you want to do in my life, in my marriage, in my family, because I'm going to do it my way. Because look, God wants to do something through our marriages, through our families that's good not only for 
us, not only good for our spouses, good for our kids, good for our families, good for the world around. God wants to use us like that. And we, again and again and again, can say, I don't think so, God. I'm going to do it my way instead. We have to learn to stop standing in the way of what God is doing and allow God to work, allow us to get on board with his program rather than with ours. And there are zillions of ways that we stand in God's way, right? I mean, we want to control everything from what our kids are like to what their future is, to what our future is, to what our bank accounts are like. Um, This morning I woke up desperately wanting to control the weather and the sunlight, right? It was pitch black when I woke up and just pouring out. We are not going to be able to control everything, engineer every outcome. It's not going to happen. So we have to give up that dream. And we have to learn to start trusting in God. Trusting that God has got this, that God is good, that God is trustworthy, that even though we can't see how this is going to work out, we can't see the outcome, God is sovereign over it. And God owns it and God is, God is confident with it. Our trust um, is not our way, but it's trusting him that God's going to get his way, and God is good, and God loves, and God is absolutely trustworthy. To get out of God's way and start listening to God. To get more um, specific, though, with this, for our series this morning, the Love Where You Live series, let's not forget the context of this story, right? The context of the story is that God wants the good news of Jesus, God wants himself to reach more and more people. That's what the Peter and Cornelius story is about. It's about the message of Jesus going out, not just to Jews, but to the entire world. God has a mission, and he wants to execute that mission through Peter, right? That's what the story is all about. Peter has the opportunity to say no, but he doesn't. He says yes. He could have said, no, I'm not going to speak to those people. I'm not going to be with them. It's not right for me to do that. I'm definitely not going to eat with them. And Peter invites them in. He goes to them, and he, he meets with them. And here's the connection for us, and I've, I've said this before, I'll say it a thousand times. Our job here, our church, our faith is about bringing God to people and people to God. That's what it's about. So we have to ask ourselves the question, both as a church, but probably more importantly for this morning, as individuals. How do we stand in the way of God doing that? How do we stand in the way of God's mission through us? How do we stand in the way? Have you ever not reached out to, loved, cared for someone because they were different than you? That's the issue here, right? Jews and Gentiles are different from each other. They believe different things, so they do different things, right? They're looked upon differently. Um, The New Testament is filled with this Jew and Gentile dynamic. You can't escape it. It's, It's absolutely everywhere. Would you not love, reach out to, care about, befriend someone because they're different than you? It, it's, it's ridiculous and stupid and silly that I have to say what I'm going to say next. But in our country today, in the wake of things like Charlottesville and in the wake of things like governors wearing blackface, racism and things like that, those isms, simply have no place within Christianity, within the church, within this church, within our faith, Because it's ridiculous, number one. But number two, Jesus died for everyone the same. He did. And that's that's just the way it is. The right and left, right? Black and white, um, right and wrong. Jesus died for everyone the same. And so 
would you ever not reach out to, not love, not care for someone who is different than you, maybe who was born in a different place than you, and maybe they're even here legally? Would you ever not reach out to, love, care for someone who thinks fundamentally differently than you, who sees the world fundamentally differently than you, who politically is on its whole opposite end of the spectrum? Would you reach out and love and care for them the same as you would who's on the same team as you, right? Would you reach out to, love, and care for someone whose sexual ethics are different than yours? or whose financial ethics are different than yours. Look, Jesus made it a habit time and time again. Take um, Zacchaeus and Matthew, for instance. These were two tax collectors who um, had, these were Jewish men whose knives were firmly in the back of the Jewish people, whose financial ethics and whose political ethics were monstrous. Didn't stop Jesus from reaching out to them. Didn't stop Jesus from loving them. Um, Jesus hung out with prostitutes. He met the woman at the well who had all the husbands, and you know what that's about. Her sexual ethics were certainly not his sexual ethics. Didn't, didn't make him afraid. Didn't make him turn away. Didn't stop him. He went right to her because he wanted something for her better, which was life in his name. That's what he, that's what he cared for. And so would you ever not reach out to, care for, love someone who was just kind of, a, kind of a bad person? I mean, I, I totally struggle with this, right? Um, we have like three neighbors, basically. To the one side of our house, we have no one. There's like no neighbor over there. There's a big empty field. So like we have no neighbor. We have no caddy corner neighbor. All we have is across the street next to us and caddy corner over here, right? Um, our neighbor over here, uh, up until like a month ago, it was two women who were like 150 years old. Um, <laughs> they were two sisters. One was, I think, 150, right? And then the younger one was 148. Um, the 148-year-old was a Catholic nun, like literally, and the 150 might have been a Catholic nun too. I don't remember. Um, we had no doubt about their faith, about their belief in Jesus. Um, we tried to reach out to them to help them just because they were so old, but they had weird dietary restrictions, so they would never let us do anything. We tried to like make meals and go food shopping. They said no to everything. We tried, right? Our across-the-street neighbor, um, Bob and Cindy, we love them. Like, our kids play in their yard, they climb on their tree, they go in their house. They're just great. They're so kind and generous and helpful. All the wonderful things, right? We love them. They're great neighbors. Our caddy corner neighbor, though. I would say three out of the five times police showed up at their house. A young adult man threw paraphernalia out the front door onto the yard before the police actually showed up, right? Um, he was some sort of a drug dealer, and he would throw the drugs onto the lawn so that the cops wouldn't come in and catch him with it, right? Um, we got woken up a number of times by their yelling and by their fighting and by all this sort of stuff, by police showing up, by people some just stopping by their house for a minute, right? Um, I'll tell you, in the six years that we lived across Caddy Corner from them, they have since moved, um, never once did we go over there and say, hey, can we be friends? Like, can we hang out? Never once. Once, their teenage daughter came over and offered to babysit our kids. And we were like, yeah, I think we're going to press the pause button on that one. Um, I wasn't going to reach out to these people, even though, like, I know I'm the kind of person who can make an impact in their life. I'm not, because just, I don't want to get in that. I don't want to get messy with that. And look, God puts us where he puts us for a reason. God gives us the neighbors we have. God gives us the coworkers we have. God puts us in classes and puts us in um, communities with moms and dads together for a reason. 
It's to reach those people through us. When we say no to a certain person or a certain kind of people because they're not like us, because they're bad or whatever, we just get in God's way of what God is doing. We have to stop. Other ways we get in God's way, we're afraid. We're afraid all the time. We're afraid of not having um, enough, of not being good enough, of not being creative enough, of not, um, you know, uh, of not having enough resources to help. Um, what happens if I'm over there and the cops come and, and pick the guy up? Like, what's that going to do to me? Not having enough time. I don't have enough time. I, I was talking to a friend this week, and she was saying how in her community group, everyone's, everyone always says, don't have enough time. Don't have enough time to reach out to people. Not enough time to be a good neighbor. Not enough time to love. Time, time, time. When we buy into the myth of scarcity, the myth that we don't have enough or that we are not enough, we are fundamentally getting in the way of God. Because we have to remember, this is God's mission. God is the one who wants to reach your neighbor. God loves your neighbor more than you do. And so if you don't trust God, that God is going to actually give you what you need to do that, we're just getting in God's way. We have to learn to trust God again. Maybe we don't have the words to say, but God will give them. Maybe we don't have the time, but God will give it. Maybe we don't have the resources, but it's God who actually cares about it. Do you think God's going to leave you out on an island there? God is going to come with you and come along. If you are faithful in giving yourself to God's mission, God will be faithful in working through you. Not, not, not in spite of you, but through you. There are countless other examples that I won't go into right now, but we put up these barriers, we put up these walls, these fences. We have to remember that Jesus, and you can read this in Ephesians, Jesus came to break down the walls that exist between us. I mean, between Jews and Gentiles, but between us and all kinds of people. Jesus came to break down those walls because what Jesus wants is more and more people to come to him. And so what I want for you is really to, um, to take some time to consider how you're standing in God's way of what God is doing, to ponder it, um, to wonder about it like Peter did. Take some time this week to pray about it. Take some time to ask God, say, God, how am I standing in your way? What am I not seeing that I need to see? How am I blind and I need to be um, unblinded? Uh, how can I serve in your way? This is what Peter had to do. Peter, Peter had to think about the vision. He had to take a step back, right? And he made the decision to get out of God's way so that he could serve in God's way, right? Peter made the decision um, to not stand in God's way any longer, but instead to serve on God's way, to not stand in God's way of God's mission, and instead to join God on God's mission. So that's what we need to figure out. That's what we need to pray about. That's what we need to have our hearts and our minds opened for, to find the courage to say, God, I want to get out of your way. Help me to get in your way. Help me to follow you, right? Ask for the courage and then actually go and do it. Because it wasn't enough for Peter to have the vision, to think the thoughts, to have the right ideas. He needed to get up and go downstairs immediately, right? And follow those men and go with them. That's what God wants for us, through us. He invites us, he desires to reach this world through you. That's God's mission. We have to stop standing in his way and start serving in it instead. Get up, go, and don't hesitate. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the way that you work in us, around us, through us, before us, after us, with us, and sometimes even in spite of us.
we pray, God, that you would uh, work in us to remove that in spite of us. That you would open up our hearts, open up our eyes and our minds to the ways that we stand in your way so that we can get out of your way, so that we can join you on your way. Lord, I pray uh, that that would be true for us as a church as we seek um, to reach the people of Monmouth County with the good news of your grace, just like, I mean, just like Peter did for those Gentiles. We pray that us as individuals, that we would have the courage um, to look in the mirror honestly, to ask you honestly, to show us where, um, where it needs to be different, where we need to get out of the way, where we need to trust you. Lord, we are not good giving up control. We are not good um, giving up engineering rights. We pray that you would give us the faith to do that. Help us to trust you, to trust in you, um, so that you can work through us to, to the full potential of the power of your good news, of your gospel, of your spirit in us. So we pray this now that you would come to us, Jesus, in your name. Amen.